0: So since all of you are out there in our virtual world, as I walked up right now, I tried to figure out what kind of entrance I wanted to do. I just wanted to pause the video for a minute and then like jump up here like it was stop motion so that here I would be in front of you ready for for your sermon time. Happy Sabbath to you all out there and the few friends and family that we have here are are gathered right behind our devices so that I can feel like I'm not preaching to empty space, but to all of you. So um, hi, Mom. I think that's appropriate um, because she doesn't normally get to get to see me via the Internet. But hi, family, all of you. And as we've been worshiping, as we've been singing and I have been sitting by our iPad and our telephone, please give to Bonita via your app. Um, I have noticed the amount of people who are streaming with us and it is brilliant and it's wonderful There are about 50 households with plenty of you people in them Um, So know that you are not alone and I know that you guys have been commenting Um, But it is a very interesting a very weird but a very cool kind of thing to um, sit anxiously as pastor Milton and I prepare for something like this and then see that Our community has decided to show up in whatever form or fashion because it is Sabbath and because it's time to worship and because now more than ever, we need to be together in whatever that can mean. So happy Sabbath, but we can't really go on without acknowledging that we have been displaced. You've been displaced, like I know where you're supposed to be sitting. I know the pews don't have the normal indentations in them right now. Our church clothes have been displaced for maybe a few weeks. We're relying on technology to create a worship experience for us today. And so I recognize that I have been displaced. What a week What a day, what a Sabbath to be able to do this. So from your homes, from your phones, and in the company of your loved ones, let us not think for one second that this isn't worship. Last week, we began a conversation in our community. We followed a question that was posed What do I do now that I believe? As Christians, as believers, and as people of faith, you and I enter into a relationship with Christ in those moments that lead up to a conversion or that singular boom moment where Jesus intersects with everything that we have known and changes everything that we now believe. You and I are people of faith, and we become participants in a story. We identify ourselves as his children, his people, his church. But after we identify ourselves as believers, after we make that decision to follow Jesus, what happens next? What does it mean to participate? What is our life supposed to be or what is it supposed to look like? You and I sit here, wherever that is, as believers, and we await, that's what it means to be Adventist, the second coming of Jesus. And as we long for this other side of salvation, we ask this question. What do I do now that I believe. We wait until the time where Jesus comes again, and he restores the earth, and he restores each and every one of us. We wait for the day where there's no pain, there's no hurt, there are no tears, there's no conflict. We wait for the day where we can come back and be his people with his people. Last week, we looked at a particular experience. Jesus was having a conversation with a rich man. There is a story told in all three Gospels. And as we looked at this story, we looked at the Mark version, we gained insight to what Jesus is saying. And I think it speaks to this concept of what do we do after we believe? You can go back and read for yourself or you can jump onto the app and listen to last week's sermon, but in short, Jesus says to a rich man, follow me. A phrase we hear time and time again in sermons and series and themes, countless follow me conversations. Jesus says, follow me and let me turn you inside out. Let me transform your character. And the man responds to Jesus by walking away sad and bummed. For somebody whose simple question was, what do I have to do to inherit eternity? Point blank and very simple. What do I do for eternal life? So Jesus tells him what to do and how to do it. And when the answer is given, the man is defeated Sell your possessions, give to the poor, and follow me. And the man goes, oh, but I have so many things. And just walks away, bummed. When given the answer, this man is stuck. Jesus didn't say, let me add a few more commandments, the ones that I have listed, and here are just a few more so we can make sure that you've kept all the rules. Jesus isn't saying, I'm going to clear up the law for you as a Jewish man who walks with dignity, but in this instance is running and having all senses locked out of him. Jesus is not saying, let me just add some nuance to the commandments of your life. Because I think he knows that we can heartlessly live within those confines and those boundaries. But on the other hand, I also want to make clear that he is not saying, you are released from the law. He's not saying, go and live in God's abundant grace, that you don't have to worry about anything and adopt a once saved, always saved, my actions don't matter mentality. Mm. So with this juxtaposition, Too much law versus too much grace. Last week, I proposed that at the heart of the conversation that Jesus was having with a rich man, Jesus was trying to have a conversation of the heart. And for the month of March, for the rest of these gatherings, I think this conversation is similar for us, a conversation that revolves around character, I shared last week that I think our society has lost some of its appreciation for Christian character. That we have lost our finesse in having these conversations and that we've lost our grit and our commitment to this value and this virtue, character. People tell me all the time, all of you who are normally in these seats, you are quite the character, PK but I don't think you're telling me about my character. I actually think you're telling me about my personality. Instead, I think we have settled when we think of this idea of character of being happily surprised and we're excited when we happen to come across someone's personality that happens to align with Christian character. Or that if somebody in our midst loves well, they're the anomaly. Or that when we live generously and when we act sacrificially toward each other, some kind of miracle has happened. And that's why I think Jesus is trying to get at character because it's not law And it's not grace. When Jesus gives this answer to the man, we can assume he's saying either law or either grace. And I would propose that he's making an either or, but a neither nor. Either law, either grace. But what I'm trying to tell you is neither law, neither grace. So today, we look at how we come to know the character of God through some more stories of Jesus. Because as we start to think about character and being created by the one almighty God who came to life in Jesus, who allowed us to experience God in the most remarkable way, we come to scripture so that we can claim his power and his promise. So that as we look at this idea of character, we can understand where we come from, where we're going, how we do it. How can we remain faithful in times of need, when times are weird, when we're scared, when we're having church through some waves in the internet, in times when we feel displaced and confused, what do we do after we believe? There are times where you and I sit in a sort of limbo when we face uncertainty. We don't know what our relationships are going to look like. We don't know what our jobs are going to look like. We have no idea how the finances are going to work. But we come together in whatever form or fashion, and we come before God who brought his people through the plagues, who brought his people through the Red Sea, and he made goodness fall from heaven. Today, especially this Sabbath, we take time to bask in the presence of the Lord. And we, are, we realign ourselves with him. So we are going to remain in the book of Mark with another Jesus encounter. If you have a Bible at your home, I encourage you to take that out now. Or, once again, a BAP. As you can see, the app is very helpful to the goings and comings of the church life, and we would really love for you to participate with us in that way. So I invite you to the book of Mark, and we will be in Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, as it begins, Jesus is in the middle of his ministry, and the Pharisees as they are starting to see Jesus speak the good words and say all these dramatic claims are starting with their questions and trying to do the trapping of Jesus. How can we corner him? How can we show everyone that this man is actually a fool? They approach Jesus after noticing that some of the disciples in Jesus's ministry, and this is chapter 7, are eating and they had not washed their hands. So now we recognize that is a big no-no, especially today. Continue to wash your hands, friends and family. But in the Jewish culture and back in biblical times, for these individuals who were very concerned with doing the right rituals and practices so that they could usher in a new kingdom and make sure that they were the people who were ready to receive the king, washing their hands and washing anything cleanliness was a huge deal you washed your hands before you ate you washed the plates you washed the serving ware you washed so many different things and had very different experiences with cleanliness before you could even approach one thing they hadn't washed their hands and so the pharisees come up to come up to Jesus and have a confrontation. I'll read you in verse 14. After Jesus and the Pharisees have an exchange about how Jesus's people and his followers are not doing the things that the law has described. Jesus does his thing where he turns He turns their thinking around and they're not quite sure how they can trap him in that moment. And in verse 14, then he called the crowd again and said to them, listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going in can defile, but the things that come out are what defile. A central theme, a central idea, a central concept that Jesus tried to convey to all people was that in his coming to earth, that's when God becomes king. When he walks among the people, he provides a cure for the hardness of hearts. He provides a solution to our unclean hearts. He provides an answer to our impure motivations. So when we talk about the cleanliness rules and the cleanliness factors and how are you going to be unclean and eat unclean things, Jesus comes to say, it's not really about those things because what comes in is just going to go out. But what comes from your heart is what I'm concerned with. Jesus provides a way for us to experience the most unique thing A person can experience. He gives each and every one of us a way, an opportunity to build character, to be virtuous, to have integrity. He gives each and every one of us the opportunity to experience his goodness even when the world displaces us. In this passage, Jesus poses the concept, either law or grace, but neither law nor grace. It's a heart thing. And not in a way that I mean we have to be overly emotional people, that we have to be in tune with our hearts to know what our emotions are doing at any given point in time. That our hearts have to be the things that are on our sleeves at all times and that's how we shape our personality. No. Not as it relates to emotion, but as it relates to character. But in this, Jesus is saying, does your heart reflect me as God, as king? God, the heart transformer. Does your heart reflect the God who wants to turn you inside out? In a time like this, as we sit in our homes, and practice social distancing, but not isolation. It is very easy to get disconnected. In a time like this, it is even easier for us to become displaced when you and I are often displaced on the daily. It's really easy to see this as a time for the next three weeks For people within our community to say, I guess there's no church. Church has been canceled. No, my friends, church has never been canceled for the Bonita community. So here we have an opportunity for God to work and for God to transform our character. Because will suspending our in-person gatherings keep you from worshiping with your Bonita people? Will the uncertainty of our times keep us from leaning in to his mighty power? Will the chaos around us and the chaos that we allow into our lives keep our peace away that God wants to give? The one that passes all understanding. What a convenient time to bring up this concept of character. Because now we're put to the test. While we take cues from the state of California and our church administration at the conference office from the city of the county of San Diego, we will be faithful. This is part of our character. This is not a how, this is not a law, this is not a grace. This is part of where our hearts have been set, how Jesus has infiltrated our lives, has transformed and said, this is not just an act or just a practice. This is about character and who you are. We will be faithful to those who are vulnerable in our communities and in our circles. And when I say we, I mean we. We will be faithful to each other and we will not be fearful We will live in faith as we lean into our commitment to worship. And we will live in faith and not fear as we pray earnestly and fervently. We live in faith and not fear because our God is bigger, our God is greater, our God holds us in the palm of his hands, our God is king. And this is not just a story that we read in the Bible, this is a reality that we live in today. And it's not just a story that we use to apply to our lives, it's a story that we get to live as it relates to who we are and our character. Our God has and always will keep his promises. He wants you to know that in his name you have been covered by the blood of Jesus. So there's this letter, as we look at what Jesus is doing and what early Christians are living in our Bible, a letter to the people of Philippi, Philippians. And as you might have seen in your email, which I'm very proud of you all, thank you so much for reading your emails this week. As we see in the text that was chosen for today, there is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the Church of Philippi, a city named after King Philip II of Macedon. He was the father of Alexander the Great. And so this community is a wealthy Roman colony, which meant the people who lived there were Romans. So as it is harder to become Christian in that kind of environment, we get this letter. So for the people, the Romans who lived in this city, they were typically retired Roman military, and in exchange for land, they were seen as the military presence at Philippi. So when Paul writes to this community, we recognize how hard it is for the church of Philippi to be Christians in the midst of not just Romans, but Roman military. And for the new Christians, this community sent Paul gifts while he was in prison. And he writes back to them. And this letter that we have is a thank you note. It's encouragement. And he offers, as always, some wisdom, some insight, and some expectation for what it means to live with Christ at the center of your life. And after relaying the pleasantries of what happens in a typical letter in first century world, the first thing he says is Philippians 2. So with that same Bible that you have as you kind of revisited Mark, I invite you to Philippians chapter two. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the spirit, any compassion and sympathy, equality with God, but as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave and being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth, under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul understood character because when you encourage people toward humility, you have to teach virtue. You have to teach heart. When I tell you to live in humility, to be of the same mind, to have the same love, to Not be selfish. We can act that way, but we're not humble if it's not coming from a humble place. And so time and time again, when we come to scripture and we start with this idea of humility and we think of Jesus coming to earth in the most humble fashion, it's not just about being like Jesus and doing the things like he did. It's this idea of character that we are being built, that Jesus is coming and turning us inside out. We are not just imitators for the sake of imitating. We are imitators because God has done a thing in our soul. You have to teach heart. You have to teach humility. It's not just doing good things. Humility is a posture toward life. And to a group of displaced humans in the Roman military city, it's the first thing that he tells them. Because he's pointing them in a direction of transformation. Transforms hearts well built on Christian character. It's what we were made for. And in chapter 4, At the end of this letter, we come to a passage in scripture that many of us have recited, many of us have learned as memory verses, and many of us will will hold as scriptural mantras of our lives
1: in various times or just in times of need.
0: But the familiar chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. I'm going to invite our worship team back forward as, as we begin to close today's online worship experience. God wants to displace you. God wants to displace me, but not in the way that the world wants to displace you, but in a way that is simply glorious. God wants to transform you from the inside out. God wants to take who you were yesterday and do something big in you today. God wants to look at your character and do something completely transformative for you tomorrow. So those same verses from just a moment ago from the Message Bible translation reads this way. Don't fret or worry. Instead, instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good will settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. This is our God, this is our Jesus, this is the God that wants to displace all the things that we are going through so that he can do a work in us, so that we can experience the peace, the joy, the love, and everything that this world can have when we have him in the middle. So as we continue being humble, as we continue working on our character, for the sake of our heart and not for the sake of our actions, I invite you to displace yourself by having God enter into your lives. Amen.